So 2015 was a great year, and we are believing that 2016 is going to be even better. Who wants a better year in 2016 than you had in 2015? That's what I'm saying. Maybe for some of us, 2015 was not a good year, and you are glad that it's behind you. Anybody like that in the room and say, yeah, if I'm just honest, that's just how it is? Come here, like, yeah, that's me. Um, Tonight, what we're going to do is, if you've never been on one of our vision nights, we do this every year in the month of January. And as a part of this, what we want to do is recap a little bit about where we've been at H12 over the last year in 2015. And we talk about kind of where we want to go in the future, 2016. That, that's what vision is. Vision is looking to the future. It's praying and asking God to do things that are far beyond anything that we could ever do on our own, in our own giftings, in our own talents, and in our own being and who we are. And so, and so we trust God for that, and we pray for that. And so I got some things that I want to challenge you with tonight, something I feel like God's been welling up in me and kind of uh, challenging me with, and I want to challenge you with that tonight. But before we do, I want to give you a little bit of a recap of 2015. I'm going to show you some of the sermon series that we went through and what they were about. I want to show you some of the video footage over the last year of some of the cool stuff that we got to do. And we're going to talk a little bit about some of the life change that we got to experience over the last year since that's kind of what we're about. So we started out last year in our sermon series in January doing a series called Him Plus Her. Him Plus Her. And if you remember that series, we talked about the right person myth. That we live in a world where we try to do all of these different things and try to find different things to fill this void in our life that we have that can only be filled with a relationship with Jesus. And the truth is, is that many of us in this room tend to fill those with relationships. Whether that's a friendship or in a boyfriend and girlfriend dating type of relationship. And we can get wrapped up in that. And so what happens is, is when we buy into the right person myth, we feel like i got to search and seek to find this right person that's going to complete me. And I use the illustration of a heart that I'd cut zigzag in half. And, and I said, we kind of view ourselves as we're half the heart and we're trying to find that person that's the other half that's going to complete me in life. But the truth is that only Jesus can complete you in your life. And if you're searching for completeness in any relationship other than your relationship with God, it will be a failed effort. And that's just the truth. We talked about in that series that whoever you're dating, whoever that is, whether it's a girl, a guy, or whoever, what we talked about in that series is, is that that person better get God before they get you. They better get God before they get you. That the biggest and most important thing that they bring to the table in a relationship is their relationship with God. Because if everything else hinges and falls on that relationship, and we talked through some of that kind of stuff, and we talked about how to have healthy relationships and what that looks like, how do they honor God? In the second series of the year, we talked about uh, this series called Goliath Must Fall. And it's where we looked at the life of David, King David, the greatest king in Israel's history. And we looked at this deep, intimate, committed relationship that David had with God. We opened up the Psalms and we looked at some of the songs and poetry and, and some of the prayers that David wrote. And we see that David had this deep, intimate relationship with God, even as a teenager, even as a young boy. For he was a teenager when he was anointed king. He was a teenager when he defeated Goliath. Think about that for a minute. And we talked about how not only that, but in the story of David and Goliath, as we looked at his life, and, and David and Goliath is often painted as this picture of David defeating Goliath, but actually the story is about God defeating Goliath. The story is about how God takes someone who seems to be insignificant, someone who seems to be overmatched, someone who seems to be overlooked, but with the power of God in their life, they are unstoppable. And the truth is, sometimes in your life, you're overlooked. Sometimes in your life, you're overmatched. But with the power of God, you are unstoppable. 
And God is unstoppable through you. And God used David to fulfill his purposes. He raises him up to be king. And we looked at a part of David's life. We even looked at some of the failures of David when David fell with Bathsheba. And we went, we went on and we looked at how, but David wasn't left alone. He wasn't to just kind of cover up his sin and kind of left to fizzle away and, and become this guy who was hard-hearted and sin-filled. But what we see about David's life is that David had someone come and confront him. David had the prophet Nathan come and confront him. And as a result of that, David responded in repentance. He turned back to God. He gave it back over to God. He turned from, from what he had done. He was broken over his sin. He was remorseful over that. And the truth is, is that every single person in this room, you need someone in your life who can bring you accountability, someone that can help you up. In fact, David's son Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, two are better than one. If one man falls down, he has someone there to help him up. But most pitied is the man who falls down and has no one there to help him up. And man, that's what we are at age 12. We're here to help each other up. We're here to walk alongside you in your faith journey. We're here to walk alongside you in your life journey. And there are times in your life when you're going to screw up. You're going to screw up big time. And we're not going to turn our backs on you. We're going to come alongside you. And we're going to help you up. We're going to help dust you off. And we're going to walk you down the next journey of your, of your faith journey as you're going. We're going to walk you down that road. We're going to support you. And we're going to be there for you. Because that's what the family of God does. That's what the people of God do. We talked about David and his life in that way. And then in March, we talked about this series called Clutch. And Clutch was all about who are you when things matter the most? Who are you when things matter the most? See, here's the deal. We can portray ourselves in so many different ways when we're around a room of, of people that we, you know, with our parents or with our grandparents or different stuff like that. In fact, I even used the illustration in this series about, man, I'd be around, you know, before I was a believer, I didn't become a Christian until I was a senior in high school. And, man, I cuss like every other word. But, dude, I'd be around my grandma, and my grandma never heard me cuss. You know what I'm saying? Like, i cuss around my grandma, she'd be like, and it'd be over. You know what I mean? She'd beat me down. Like, I know, how was it that I could turn it off around my grandma, but when I was around my friends, man, it was every other word coming out of my mouth. Who are you when it matters most? We talked about pressure. We talked about failure. We even talked about how in sports and daily training that you train daily and you practice daily and you grow up daily in that athletic uh, sports arena, whatever that you're doing, whether it's football, basketball, lacrosse, baseball, whatever, and you practice and you train daily so that when game time comes, you're ready. You're ready to win. And the truth is, is that in life, we have to build those disciplines in our life. Where it's daily training, where we're spending time with God daily so that when the game of life comes, when you're placed in those pressure situations, you are clutch in those situations. Coming through in the clutch in your faith. And that's what clutch was all about. And then in the months of April and May, we did this series, <clears throat> we did this series called Paradox. And it was built around the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' words. Now, paradox, uh, paradox means this. Paradox is a seemingly contradictory uh, idea or statement that after further investigation proves to be true. And Jesus would say things all the time, all throughout Scripture, and it was seemingly contradictory, but as you begin to get into it, you, it turned out to be true. Things like Jesus would say in, in the Sermon on the Mount, like in Matthew 5, he would say things like, hey, you've heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, and we all understand that. Hey, man, you punch me, I'm going to punch you back. If you, you cuss at me, I'm going to cuss at you back. If you treat me poorly, I'm going to treat you poorly. If you treat me nice, I'm going to treat you nice. And Jesus steps on the scene, he says, listen, I know that you guys respond to each other like eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, turn the other cheek. 
I tell you to pray for the person who persecutes you. Jesus comes on the scene and he flips the script. He turns it upside down. It's a paradox. And what happens is, is that when people come at you and they start attacking you and you treat them with kindness, you turn the other cheek, they're confused because every other person in their life lashes back out at them. And they're like, what makes this person different? And it's that Jesus is in you. It's that Christ is in you. It's that you're a Christian, you're a believer, and this is how that we live our lives. And Jesus came on the scene and he said these, these things that just uh, dumbfounded the people because it had so much wisdom and so much richness to us, but it went against so much of what the culture taught. And then in, uh, in June, uh, we jumped into the series called Camouflage. And we kept going in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. And we talked about what it meant to be secretly incredible. Secretly incredible. That we live in a world and a culture that is all about the stage. It's all about what's seen. It's all about what is up front. It's all about what's in the open. But Matthew chapter 6 tells us that, man, it's all about what's unseen. That God sees what's behind closed doors. That it's all about the unseen. That we don't serve people and love people so that we can get recognition, but we serve people and love people because that's just who we are and it just comes out of us as followers of Christ. And we talked about that through that, through that, uh, through that series of, uh, of camouflage. And uh, in that series, we also talked about prayer and fasting, anxiety and worry. And then in July, we talked about For the Win. This was an action-based series that we're to live our faith out in action. And we talked about uh, things like um, uh, doing gets you or talking will not. We talked about things like how generosity gets you where selfishness never will. We talked about doing and, and that your faith should be a faith in action where James says faith without works is dead. And then also in July, we got the opportunity to go to youth camp, to NTS camp. Yes. And NTS camp is a powerful, life-changing experience. In fact, uh, once Dig gets past us here in a couple weeks, because uh, sign-up's in this week, once Dig gets past us, we're going to begin talking about camp. And it's one of the most powerful experiences you can ever go to. In fact, it was at camp when I was 17 years old that I gave my life to Christ. And God does some amazing things at camp. In fact, I want to show you a quick video clip of some of the stuff that we do at camp and what camp looks like. And uh, so you can think about going this year if you didn't go last year. If you did go last year, you may see yourself in the video and get to celebrate uh, with uh, your, that experience. Check it out. So this will be my fourth summer with NTS as a site director. Starting with day one, I felt like the staff of NTS and the volunteers of NTS poured into me. We've all, as, as youth workers, have been to an event or a retreat or even a camp where all the weight was on the youth pastor's back and we, we would spend an entire week exhausted, barely see our students. That's the difference with NTS camp. I felt energized that week. The teaching team at, at NTS is such a fun thing to be a part of. The intentionality that goes in months and months and months before the students ever show up to a campus. The ideas, the content, the, the dreaming, the ways that the teachers are able to connect and share notes and resources, the way that they're praying. Even though you might be teaching at one site, your ideas are being shared all across all of these campuses across the country, impacting all of these students, and you feel like you're a part of a team. I'm super competitive, so I love the team comps, but when it came down to it, I really, really loved the small group time. Um, to have that safe group again, just to be open with and grow together, which they might not be able to do in school or back home or whatever. Thank you for what you've done and 
letting us come out of our shells and make new friends and everything. Honestly, Austin is such, he's, he's an insanely good leader. He's led me through darkness. He's led others through sin and darkness and temptation. And I don't think he gives himself enough credit that he's really, honestly, I don't think any of us would be where we are without him. Yeah, camp. <laughs> and then in the month of August, we did this series called My Life, My Rules. And we jumped in with what the church was doing with our senior pastor and what he was teaching on Sunday morning. And we talked about how we live in a culture that, that, that lives by rules, that there's traffic rules and there's rules all around us. There's rules at school and there's rules everywhere we go and that rules are meant to uh, set boundaries and to be a protective thing, that rules aren't necessarily a bad thing. But what happens is sometimes people falsely look at the Bible and they say, man, the Bible is just a set of rules. It's just a list of rules. And as Christians, uh, they always talk about the rules. And the truth is, is that when rules take center stage, there's two things that take place. Either one, you lean towards re religion or two, you lean towards rebellion, and both are dangerous. That the message of Christianity is about a relationship with God. It's not about rules. But the truth is, is that things are laid out in Scripture, uh, that God lays things out in our Scripture for our prosperity and for our protection. That God would tell us things in the, in the Scripture like, hey, don't get drunk, not to take away your fun, but he knows that if you get drunk, you can get in a car accident and kill somebody. And it ruin and affect the rest of your life. These aren't to take away your fun. They're meant to protect you. They're meant to enjoy it. That everything that is significant, everything that matters, has boundaries around it. It is why God places boundaries around things like sex. He places those boundaries around it because it's important, because it matters. And he places those boundaries around it not to hold us back, but so that we can enjoy it and prosper in it in its right time and in, its, in the boundaries that it was set for. And all throughout Scripture, we see this play itself out, that God lays them out for our protection and for our prosperity. And then in September, we jumped into this series called Flipped. And this series was all uh, stemming from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 12, where Paul tells Timothy, Paul being the mentor, telling young Timothy, do not let anyone look down on you because you're young, but be an example in your speech, in your conduct, in your faith, in love, and in purity. And he laid out these five things for Timothy, Timothy to be an example in. And we do live in a culture sometimes that looks down on teenagers. People excuse us. They say, ah, he's just young. Now's his time to live it up. Even our parents excuse us sometimes. Yeah, I remember when I was young, I made those same type of decisions. And the truth is, is that uh, all throughout Scripture, we see God using young people, oftentimes even preferring to use young people to do unbelievable things for his kingdom. That we live in a world that looks down and God says, hey man, have a little more pride in who I've created you to be as my sons and my daughters. And if you're an example in these areas, man, I could do unbelievable things in your life. It's a pretty powerful picture that he gives Timothy and a pretty powerful challenge that we are challenged with. In fact, you even look at Jesus when he selected the disciples. We know that every one of the disciples except for one, Peter, was a teenager when he asked them to follow him. Literally, that Jesus chose people your age to be the disciples that would eventually be the ones to carry on the message that the church would grow out of that we still worship Jesus from today. That's powerful. And I mentioned you earlier, David was a teenager, and I can go on and on and on all throughout Scripture of what God did through young people uh, in there. And that's what that series is all about. And then in October, we did this series called Voices. The truth is we have tons of voices in our life. 
We got our parents, we got teachers, we got our pastors, we got leaders, we got our friends, we got social media. There's voices bombarding us all the time. And the truth is, is that our culture is speaking to us as a part of those voices as well. And those voices begin to build our worldview and how we view the world and how we view each other and how we view life and how we view love and how we view God. And we talked about how do we hear the voice of God in the midst of all the noise that's around us. And I challenge you in that series with that. I challenge you to prioritize God's voice over every other voice in your life. And then in November, we did this series called Kings. We explored some of the minor kings, some of the kings that you don't hear a lot about in church. We talked about Jehoshaphat and Asa and Josiah. And we talked about how God used them. And we got some life lessons out of that that really challenged us. And then in the month of December, we did this series called The King is Among Us. And this is all about a Christmas series celebrating the truth that a Savior was born and that changes everything. And in the midst of all of these series that we were doing, we had bonfires and bashes and pig roast and camps and retreats and zorbs and dropping ping pong balls out of a helicopter and giveaways and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we did all of this stuff in the midst of all of that in this last year. 2015 was an awesome year. In fact, I got a recap of some of the fun that we had last year, things like Dig. Things like, uh, things like the Back to School Bash, things like H12 Got Talent, which is coming up here uh, uh, pretty soon. So check out this video real quick.
Now listen, with all of the activity, what does it translate to? It translates to transformation. It translates to transformation. Why do we do what we do? Why do we do all of this fun stuff and crazy stuff and all that? Because we desire to see you to connect with Jesus because we know that will transform your life. And a beautiful picture of it, you saw it in that video, is this cross. That throughout this last semester, students have been coming up and putting their thumb on this cross. And each one of these blue dots on this cross represents those students that are in this room that said yes to Jesus in the last four months or so. In fact, I'll tell you something cool. In 2014, we saw, we saw, uh, we had 84 salvations in high school, in our high school ministry. 84. That's unbelievable. 84 people come to know Jesus. There are churches that in the last 10 years have not seen 84 people come to know Jesus. We baptized 51 students in 2014. Last year, at the vision night, like tonight of 2015, I told you that I wanted to pray to see 150 students receive Christ to get saved in 2015. Now, that's almost double what we saw in 2014. 150 was what we wanted to see. We had 159 students last year give their life to Christ. That is amazing. Not only that, but, um, but this past year we said 67 baptisms, which is 16 more baptisms than we had the year before. And a beautiful picture that we're going to keep up all throughout this semester is the picture of this cross. So you can see some of you put your thumbprint on there. There's nothing that is more significant, maybe physically, to your identity than your fingerprints. Because no one else has one like you. And by saying, by putting your thumb on that cross, it is you saying, my identity is no longer my own. It is in Jesus' hands. I've surrendered my identity to you. Jesus, you are who I want to live my life to be like. And so as a part of that as well, um, as a part of the baptism and some of that life change, I think that, you know, even as we've looked at some of these videos already, I think that it's always good to leave a picture in your mind of transformation. And these are students that over the last year have said, hey, man, I, I've given my life to Jesus, and I want to make that as a public declaration, and they've come to get baptized. And the truth is, uh, you can get baptized as well. If you've given your life to Jesus, the only prerequisite to baptism is salvation, that you believe, put your trust and faith, repented of your sins, given your life to Jesus. And if you want to do that, you can just check that on your, uh, uh, you know, your worship guide or tear, tear off something on your worship guide, write your name in it, and drop it in one of the boxes up here in the front, say, I want to get baptized, and we'll come. And we'll walk you through that, and we'll take you through those next steps. We do that once a month in our ministry, and that's what we're all about. And I want, I want, to, I want to read a verse to you in Scripture, and I'm going to put it up here on the screen for you. It's from Proverbs 29, verses 18, and this is why we have a vision night, and it's this. It says, where there's no vision, the people perish. And the picture of this is, is where there's no view of the future, where there's no going after a vision, the people perish. That they just flounder, they just wander aimlessly, that they, they, they don't have any direction and so what is the direction? What are we going after as a student ministry? What does that look like in 2016? Well, I'll tell you, in 2015, 
the word that I gave you, and I like to have a word every year that just kind of defines it, was fight. It was fight, and last year during the vision night, I talked to you about fighting for the things that matter in your life, that there's some things that I had not been fighting for in my life and in my walk with God and in my family and in my just different things in my life, in my personal disciplines that I needed to fight for. And over 2015, I saw after fighting after those things. And this year, um, the word that I want to give you is the word move. The word is move, M-O-V-E. And I want to I read this to you because I think this is sort of an overarching theme of, of outside of kind of what I'm going to talk about in this move thing that I would say is, is kind of my heart. Outside of the vision, what I'm about to give you now is kind of my heart for student ministry here at H12. Here it is. I have a vision to see H12 as a place where people talk about in a positive way. That at your school, people talk about H12 as a place that is different in a good way. I pray that every student that walks in the doors experiences the love of Christ from our leaders and our students. And that no one feels alone. That the spirit of God is rich and powerful. And that life change is the norm. I want to see our students step up and lead. To take on as their mission to make people feel welcomed. And to make this place a place that is saturated with the love of God. That's my desire. That is a part of the overarching vision of what I want to see for this ministry. I want to see every person connected, every person who's experienced the love of God. We pray for you, and that's one of the things we've in, intensified within the student ministry, that our team gets together in the prayer room for about a half an hour a couple times a week, and we pray over you. Sometimes we pray over your name. Sometimes we pray over you just in general. Sometimes we pray over your school, and we pray over the leaders, and we pray over this ministry. And every week we come in here and we pray over these chairs, and every single one of these chairs today have been prayed over multiple times. We've been praying over these chairs all throughout the day, so the seat that you're sitting in has been prayed in because we believe in the power of prayer and this is what we want to move we want to move move is has some action to it now I want to set this up and I want to frame this to you and and uh, this is this is not mine I've changed a couple of the words here but uh, this is something years ago I mean 10 years ago there was a book written to kind of define what it looks like for people in the church and I want I want to just kind of explain this to you that every single person in this room every single person at 12 stone church falls into one of these categories and we'll call it like this the first one is the community the community is, are the people who have never been in the walls of our church before. They've never been to age 12. These are your friends, your classmates, your teammates, your siblings. These are people who don't know Jesus. These are people that don't attend church. These are people that are spiritually unresolved, and God desperately loves them. In fact, on Jesus' mission was to seek and save that which was lost. It is the command that God has given all of us as believers to go and make disciples, to go after those people and share the love of Christ and to invite them in. But there are many people in our community, and I want you to notice that, the, that there are more people. The largest circle is our community. There are more people outside of the walls of this church than are inside the walls of this church. There's more people. If you had all the people that go to church inside of Gwinnett County, there are 10 times that amount of people that do not go to church and are spiritually unresolved outside of those churches. And so our work is not done. And there's so many people out in the community. The next is the crowd. The crowd are the people that come here and they check it out. Their attendance is sporadic. Maybe they've been invited by a friend. They're, they're not quite connected yet, but, but they're, they're curious. They're trying to figure some things out. They may have a few relationships, or they may be beginning a few relationships, or they may not. At this point, they're not bought in. They're not connected. They wouldn't necessarily call this like a priority in their life, but, but they're a part of the crowd that are in this room. And then you have the connected. The connected are people who say, hey, you know what? I'm bought in. 
Uh, many of the connected have given their life to Jesus, but some haven't. They just say, hey, you know what, like I'm here. And, and the connected people, they come more than they don't come. This, sometimes their attendance is sporadic, but they, they want to be here. They make it a priority. They say, hey, man, this is something that I look forward to every week. They have a relationship with adult leader here, and they have a relationship with some of the students here, which helps them get even more connected. They're connected in this place. Some of these, but not all of them, are in a life group or in a connection group. And then you have the committed. The committed are those that are all in. They have given their life to Jesus. They're growing in their walk with God throughout the week. They have a time with God outside of the ministry because they're not just committed to age 12, but they're committed to Jesus, that Jesus is greater than age 12. Jesus is greater than the church, and their relationship with God compels them to come and be a part of corporate worship. They gather together with believers as the church. They're committed to the ministry. They're connected in a life group, and they're committed. They go to it most every week. In fact, committed people are serving. They're serving in the children's ministry. They're serving in the middle school ministry. They're serving on the greeter team. They're serving in some areas. These are the committed people. As you can see, this is a smaller group than the connected, and the connected are a small group in the crowd and vice versa. And then there's the core. The core are the, the minority. The core are those people that are, are the committed people, but beyond that, they're leaders. They're influencers. They don't just invite people to H12, but they actually talk and tell people about Jesus and actually lead people to Christ. They're the core. They, they, they serve. They, they, they walk the walk. When people see the core, they say, man, like that guy is a stud. That girl is a stud. Like I may not love Jesus. I may not want to come to age 12. But when this person is in the room, there is something different about them. This is the core. This is a small majority. You say, why do you show me this? Because this is what I want you to know. Every person in this room is in one of these four categories. And we all have people and friends and, 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 and in our circles of our life that are out here in the community. And the word that I give you is move. And the reason I give you the word move is because, is because of this. My challenge for you in 2016 is that you would move from where you are at at least one step closer to the center. That you would move no matter where you're at. So if you're at the crowd and you're checking it out and you're curious, that you will make a commitment over this next uh, several months that you're going to get connected. That you're going to commit to going to connection groups every week. That you're going to commit to trying to build relationships with people. There's some super cool people here that you don't know. Because they go to a different school where they're a part of a different peer group. And you get to know them and you're like, man, those people are pretty dang awesome. I know because I know a lot of you and you're all pretty awesome. Say, I'm awesome. Y'all agree? And uh, maybe you're connected here and you need to be committed. Maybe for you it is taking a step and getting into a life group. You love it here, you come here every week, but you're not serving anywhere and you're not in a life group. And for you it's, it's moving, it's taking a step. Or maybe you're committed and it's being a part of the core. Maybe it's, it's not that you're just committed to the ministry and committed to Jesus. And it's not just that you're inviting people to come and be a part of age 12, but you're actually doing ministry at your school and doing ministry with your friends. You're bringing up Jesus in conversations. You're sharing your faith with them. It's just moving one step. I want to challenge every person in this room to move one step at least towards the core. For some of you, it's stepping into the core. I'll tell you, over this last year, we had an exciting thing happen in January. We launched some campuses at our church, five campuses. Amazing. We sent out over 100 students, over 40 leaders in our ministry to go get these campuses started. 
And as a result of that, sending those people out, we're rebuilding here. But the truth is high school ministry over all our campuses is up 17% over the last year. That's amazing. And as a part of that rebuilding here, we sent out a bunch of leaders, a bunch of students that were in that core to committed range. And the truth is that a lot of people that are here, you are new. And we're so glad that you're here. And we want to continue to challenge you and help you walk along in that journey with Jesus to take that next step in your faith. And that's why the word is move. And moving takes action and it takes intentionality. Things that don't move are stagnant. And I don't think that there's anything that is more unattractive to an unbeliever than a stagnant believer. We would call him a hypocrite. In fact, Jesus would say it this way as he was speaking to the, to the uh, apostle John when he wrote the book of Reve- in the book of Revelation in Revelation 3.15. He says this. He says, speaking to the, the church at Laodicea, he says, I wish that you were either hot or cold. But because you were neither one, because you're lukewarm, I'm about to spew you out of my mouth. In other words, hey, I wish you were either all in or all out. But because you're just stagnant, you're just wishy-washy, it makes me sick. And you know this as well as I know this. People tell me all the time, man, the reason I don't like church, the reason I don't like Christians, the reason I don't like Jesus is because Christians are hypocrites. Now, at the end of the day, and the truth is we're all hypocrites. Every person in this room has said something and done the opposite. That's why there's grace in the church. We, we say, hey, man, we, we realize we're broken and we need a Savior. That's why we call ourselves Christians. But at the end of the day, I want to challenge you to be moving closer to the core. I'm not saying you've got to be perfect because none of us are. I told you earlier that we pick each other up when we fall down. I'm saying you're just making a commitment intentionally to move closer in your relationship with God. I want to close with this thought. Peter, one day Peter is hanging out and he's fishing. He's a fisherman. Uh, as blue collar as of a job that you could possibly get in the first century. Peter was uneducated. He was not selected to go to certain schools, so he was a tradesman. Most likely in his father's business. One day Peter's hanging out by the lake. He's mending his nets after a night of fishing. And this guy walks up. And he says, hey, man, follow me. This guy's name was Jesus. He says, follow me. And Peter, taking a risk, steps out of what's comfortable and what he's known for an opportunity to follow this rabbi who he doesn't know anything about. And he begins to follow Jesus. And he's, he's eating where Jesus is eating. And he's sleeping in the same homes that Jesus is sleeping in. And he's walking around with Jesus, doing ministry with him day in and day out. And as he's on this journey, he begins to notice, man, there's something different about this guy that I'm following. And you know there's something different about the guy you're following when you're chilling out on a boat one day. And you look out and the dude's walking on the water towards the boat. And then he says to you, hey, man, come on out to me. And you step out of the boat and start walking towards Jesus. Jesus wasn't the only person who walked on water. Peter walked on water too. And I bet Peter was freaking out. And finally the light bulb came out, came on in, in Peter's mind. He's like, oh my goodness, this is the Messiah. This is who the prophets had talked about. This is the one who, who everyone has been looking forward to. Like all of these things are fulfilled in him. And in Matthew chapter 16, we see Peter exclaiming, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and Jesus replies back to him, that, that is true. And, and this wasn't revealed to you by man, but this was revealed to you by my father in heaven. And he begins to encourage Peter in this moment. 
Peter knew that Jesus was different, but then something happened. Jesus gets arrested. And he was afraid. He was so afraid that when he was asked if he was a part of Jesus' crew, he said, I don't know what you're talking about. And denies Jesus three times. The one who he's been following, the one who he thought to be the Messiah, is now crucified and killed right before him. He's freaking out. He's, he's afraid. He goes back to the, to the lake. He goes back to mending the nets. He goes back to his old job. And, and as far as he knows, uh, this Jesus thing was just a big made-up story until one day he's out mending his nets after a night of fishing. And someone says, hey, throw that net over the other side over there just like you did the first time. And they realize that this was Jesus talking to them, that Jesus had raised from the dead. Jesus hangs out with the disciples. And then in Acts chapter 1, Jesus tells the disciples, he says, hey, listen, I'm about to go back up to the heaven. I'm going to sit on the right hand of my Father. But listen, in Acts chapter 1, verses 8, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. In other words, I am going to send you out that you are now going to take this message to the world. And every believer, every Christian that takes on this message and takes on a relationship with me, that is what has been given to them. And a couple of days later, Peter's just chilling. He's hanging out with some of the disciples, and there's tons of people around. They're all from different nations and speak different languages. And the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, the same power that was in Jesus fell on Peter. And that same power now is, resides in every person who calls himself a believer and he falls on Peter, and Peter begins to share about Jesus. And every person, no matter their language, could understand clearly what Peter was saying, kind of a freaky moment. And then he gives an invitation, and 3,000 people come to know Jesus that day. And it's the beginning of the church. And the gospel spreads like crazy. And Peter's sharing about Jesus everywhere, and they arrest him, and they arrest him with John, and they flog him, and they beat him from an inch of his life, and, and they leave, and they leave uh, uh, these people who just beat him, and it says that they rejoice that they were counted worthy to suffer for his name. And Peter's life was, came to an abrupt end when he was standing before the executioners who would kill him for his belief in Jesus. And before they were about to execute him, he tells his executioners, history tells us, that I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord. Crucify me upside down. And for 2,000 years, we have been talking about people. And I assure you that if Jesus doesn't come back 2,000 years from now, they will still be talking about Peter. Here's a guy who was a fisherman, blue collar as they get, whose life was not going to make a difference, which was as insignificant as it could possibly be. And the mere invitation of saying, follow me, and coming to follow Jesus literally changed his life, and God did some significant things in him and through him. Now here's my question for you. Do you think that Peter knew that when he went to follow Jesus, that 2,000 years later, people would still be talking about him. I doubt it. I doubt it. But I'm here to tell you, I don't know what your story is, I don't know where you've been. If you were to ask my friends in high school before I gave my life to Christ as a senior, who is the most unlikely person to do something big for God, 
almost every person in my high school would have pointed straight at this guy. Because I was a screw up. I got in fights all the time. Was high all the time. Partying all the time. It was all about me. Using girls. Using people. Arrested. I was a screw up. And when I was at a camp at 17 years old, Jesus says, follow me. And I said, yes. And what was insignificant became significant. And so I'm at the gym a week and a half ago. This guy comes up to me and says, hey, man, you wouldn't happen to be uh, that youth pastor guy over at 12 Stone, would you? Yeah, yeah, I'm a high school pastor there. He says, dude, my friend kept inviting me to come to H12 about three years ago. And I kept telling him, man, that church stuff's not for me. That's not about me. That's not my life. And he said, and I came. Finally came. And he says, on that night, I received Christ and God changed me. And my life has never been the same. We have a new volunteer leader here whose friend invited her. She came to hang out, heard the invitation to go to dig. She went to dig. At dig, she gave her life to Jesus. And now, several years later, she's now serving as a leader here at age 12. Is that not amazing? For some of you, you need to move. There's so many people in our community that don't know Christ, and there's so many people in this room. Maybe you don't know Christ and you need to give your life to Jesus. You need to make a move. You need to extend an invitation. You need to have a conversation and give your life to Jesus if that's what you need to do to respond to him. we got a lot of stuff coming up in 2016. I'll talk to you a lot more about it next week. You're going to hear about H12. We've got talent next week. You're going to hear about some of the cool stuff that we have coming up that's going to be amazing. We don't have time. We're over time as it is for now. But let me say this. Tonight in the back, when we dismiss you to connection groups after this next song, which is my favorite worship song of all time, of all time. When you leave tonight, there's going to be some invite cards in the back. And it's an invitation to age 12. And maybe your friend is like that guy I talked to at the gym last week. Maybe your friend is like our new leader, Lindsay. And maybe that's your friend's story. And maybe in 2017, when I get up, I'll be telling a story about your friend who was like Peter, who was like me, who was like that guy at the gym, who was like Lindsay, who was spiritually unresolved, and all it took was someone giving them an invitation. And they came, and they heard about Jesus, and their life was changed. Now listen, next week is going to be an easy easy opportunity to invite people to because we're starting a series next week the title of the series is called obsessed it's a series on relationships and we like to talk about relationships apparently we're going to talk about dating we're going to talk about all the good stuff and all that and we're going to talk about purity and we're going to talk about all that kind of stuff and it is going to be really 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 good and we are going to have a lot of fun throughout this next series.